Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Uh, Let's get into week five of this series that we're in called Promises, Promises. And as the title may, uh, you know, give you that clue, we're talking about Promises from the Bible, God's promises. And so today on Father's Day, we're going to talk about parenting. So this is not strictly for dads. And even if you have small children, this will apply. If you have grown children, this will really apply. So hang with me even through the end. This will really hit home, especially if you have grown children. Um, and, you know, Father's Day is interesting because, you know, some, some of us had good experiences with fathers and some of us had bad ones or some of us had no experience. And so, you know, for many people, this is a celebration. It's a great get-together. You get to, you know, connect or reconnect with your dad or whatever. But I understand the complexity of that, and we'll kind of get into that a little bit today. It's not just that cut and dry. It's not always happy Father's Day. And so we'll talk about that. But we're going we're gonna to kind of broaden the scope. So ladies, you're invited to. We're talking about parenting in general. And I will just make these few statements about parenting that are obvious. Uh, First one is parenting is difficult. Parenting can be stressful. Parenting can be filled with pressure and expectations. So maybe you had a great growing up experience. You might feel pressure to at least do that good. You might have had a terrible experience growing up, and you're like, I feel pressure to, to not do that. Either way, there's a lot that comes with that. But as we said earlier, parenting is so important, so important. And almost all parents, I'm not going to say all because there are some parents out there who may not feel this way, but I think almost all parents want to do a really good job, right? Uh, They they want to instill values to their children. And really, the idea, I think the, the goal of parenting is we want to give our children a better growing up experience even than we had in every way, okay? I think that's what we want as parents. There's a lot of advice about parenting out there. I went on Amazon and looked on the book section. I just typed in parenting, and there were 60,000 returns on books on Amazon.com about parenting. There's a lot of advice about parenting. Some of it's good. Some of it is trash, okay? Um, But here's what I think. Advice is good, but I think What we need and what we're going to talk about today is more than just advice. I think what we need is a parent promise. And so today's promise in this series, Promises, Promises, is just simply the parent promise, not the parent trap. Great movie, just watched that recently. Uh, The parent promise. So here is our verse for today, and so we'll dive in just one verse, but we got a lot to cover. So if you're a note taker, you are going to love me today, or you're going to get a hand cramp. So work that thing out real quick. We're going to try to cover, I thought I was going to be short and sweet, but the more I went, the more I thought, whoa. So here we go. Here's the one verse we're going to look at today. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, it is a bit misleading. This series promises promises because Proverbs 
are not promises, okay? That's a huge mistake, I think, that people make with this particular proverb is it's, oh, it's in the bank, it's cash, I did this, and so this will happen. Now, a proverb means, and this is a, not just any proverb, it's a proverb from God, it's wisdom from God. So the idea is if we follow these steps that God lays out, if we do the first part, then the second part will more than likely follow. At the very least, if we, all, we're, all we are responsible for in this is the first part, the second half is out of our control. So we give that over to God and let him do what only he can do or only what he wills to be done in his sovereignty, okay? So we follow these steps and God takes care of the rest. So what I want to do this morning is, is cut this in half and we'll look at the first part, sort of our obligation as parents, and there's really two parts to that. And then we'll look at the second half of this verse as we close uh, this morning. So the first half of this verse, train up a child in the way he should go. And let me just say on the outset, a disclaimer, new, newsflash, I'm not a parenting expert. Now, I am an expert in that I am a parent, <laughs> right? So I'm just doing it. And I do have younger children. So yeah, some things we'll talk about even at the end are just going to be, well, okay, everything I'm talking about is not just my advice, right? You, don't, you can go to Amazon and get that, right? We're talking about what Scripture says about parenting, the importance of training up a child and not them not departing from it, okay? So I just want to get that out of the way. Uh, this is scriptural insight, not just personal advice. So the first half of this is training up a child. So there was a study done a few years ago, and it looked at about 50 Olympic athletes, and it looked at their, their training, how they train, how they, how they become athletes in the Olympics. I mean, these are elite, elite, elite athletes, top of the world, top half of the top half of the top 1%, okay? So there's a few findings from this I found interesting and to relate them to parenting. It says most, if not all, well, almost all of these athletes began training and their sport at an extremely young age. I mean, like some at three years old. Serena Williams, three years old, picking up a tennis racket, playing tennis on a full-size court, okay? Some, you know, five, Six years old, probably at the latest, we're talking six, seven years old to get to this point. Another thing that's interesting is each athlete had a strict daily regimen that was consistent, which we'll talk about that here a little bit later. So they would get up about the same time every day. They would have sort of the same schedule every day. They would eat about the same time, about the same thing every time, every day. They stick to the plan. They have a plan. They've got to go. They stick to the plan. It's a strict regimen. Also, what I found the most mind-blowing is every athlete in this study had trained for at least 10,000 hours before they ever entered their first Olympic event. They train at least, many of them much more than that, train at least 10,000 hours before entering their first Olympic event. And it's, it's interesting, I was actually, uh, Simone Biles, she, I saw an interview she did this last week, and she was talking about her, sort of her training schedule. So and she put it this way, uh, she says, I train about 32 to 36 hours every week in the gym. She's the most decorated gymnast in the history of the world, okay? Uh, she'll be all over TV this summer, you'll see her everywhere, okay? Team USA. So she trains 32 to 36 hours a week so that she can perform four to six minutes every few weeks. She does, about, she does four different events. They're each between one and one and a half minutes long. She only, she only does these competitions every few weeks at the most, yet she trains 32 to 36 hours every week. 
These athletes dedicate themselves to training in a sport. And so my question is, how much more important is it as parents that we train our children? I think it's way more important. So as we look at training our children, there's two main ways in which we do that. I'm not going to say anything mind-blowing, but I think this is going to be helpful on this Father's Day. The first way that we train our children is by talking. We're going to talk about not the talk. We're not going to, that's not the discussion for today. You should have that with your kids uh, at some point. But we train by talking, and there's four aspects I'm going to get through, try to get through pretty quickly uh, on this first idea of training our children by talking. The first thing is obvious, and it's this. Have something to say. Have something to say. So this is another proverb, Proverbs 1, verses 8 and 9. Uh, set Solomon saying this, My child, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. So it, this is for the child, yes, but the father has to correct. The mother has to instruct. And you can switch those and do both of those. It's not you have to do this and you have to do that. The idea is there's something being said worth listening to for the child to listen and here's, here's where we're going to get very specific on this point. I'm not simply talking about just good life advice. That's great. I'm not talking about just earthly wisdom. That's fine. What we're, what we're looking at here, we're training up a child not just to be a good person, but to become a godly person. Right? That's the goal of a Christian parent is not just to raise good people, but godly people. That's what this training is trying to, the result we're trying to get. So, Here's, I would make this more specific. Don't just have something to say, but talk to your kids about Jesus, right? Specifically, have faith conversations with your children. Talk about Scripture. Read Scripture with your children. Here's, if you have kids downstairs, here's your homework assignment. On the way home, ask them what they learned in 1C Kids today. Boom, you've got this one nailed. You're a pro, right? So we want to talk to our children about Jesus. And one common thing that I will hear from parents, and I heard a lot more when I was a youth pastor, was, well, I don't want to be too pushy. I don't want to push them away. And I would say, well, you don't have to be pushy to talk about Jesus. Anything you say at a certain age to your kid, they're not going to want to hear at all. So don't waste it on this other stuff. Now, anything you talk to your kids about is fine, but man, Jesus, put that in there. For a while, they might reject that. For a while, they might feel overbearing parent, you know, Jesus freak parent. That's fine. But remember, this is training. Sometimes even these peak athletes don't want to be trained. They want a rest day. They want a cheat day. They want a skip day. But if they're going to get to the top of the mountain, you can't, no, no, we're not going to skip training today. We're not going to not train just because you whine and don't want to train. No, we're going to train twice as hard because you whine. All right, that's that. We're going to whip these kids into shape. Because here's the thing. In the moment, you think, well, I don't want to push them away. I don't want to just, here's the thing. What you really don't want to do is look back later and say, man, I wish I would have talked to them about that, but I was scared. I wish I would have warned them about this person, and now they're stuck with them, and I should have said something, right? We, we would, I would rather there, and again, this is me having small children. I'm not in everyone's shoes. But personally, I would rather have some distance at some time for a while because I talk to them rather than me having a great relationship, but their life is a wreck, right? I, that's, just where, that's just where I'm at. Maybe if, when my kids are older, I'll change my mind, but I doubt it. I'm pretty stubborn, okay? And here's the other last thing I'll mention about this. Kids 
people, we are all inundated with messaging constantly. Constantly. Social media, internet, friends, TV, movies, everything. There's messaging all the time, non-stop. So as parents, we need to be in the mix of what's being communicated to our children. We have to be in that mix. They might ignore it, they might hate it, they might not, but we have to be in the mix. We have to talk and have something to say. Here's the second thing about talking with our kids, and this kind of takes the first step even further. We want to use every opportunity we have to have these faith conversations. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. It says this, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly. We'll talk about that in a minute. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Then here's verse 7. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Find every opportunity. Use every opportunity to fit faith into the conversation. Simple things like, even with small kids, kindness is a biblical concept. Find a way to get that in there. Generosity, sharing, right, is a biblical idea. Let's work that in there. You can, we can even use stories in the Bible about getting along with our siblings. Yeah, wow, that, I could preach about that one all day, right? This, that one I am an expert on, this getting along with your siblings thing. I know all about that one right now. Uh, here's a good one. Here's a, here's a simple thing. Like when, you're, when your kids notice that their life's pretty good, find a way to thank God for that. Like you're on a nice vacation this summer. Don't just say, yeah, doesn't dad's job pay really well? Don't do that. No, say God blessed us to be able to do this. God blessed us with this home we live in. God blesses us with the food that we eat, right? So find a way to bring it back to this idea of a faith conversation. When our kids are afraid, we should pray with them. Don't just talk them through it. That's fine. But let's pray about it. Let's talk to God about it. That's, that's a, good, a good thing for this training. Then as they get older and have questions about life and sexuality and things like that, let's come at it from a biblical perspective. Because again, the messaging everywhere else around them is going to throw them way off. And so if we can train them, that's what we want to do. And as they get older, even, even my kids are kind of in this age, they're getting into this age right now where they're more aware of uh, news, the news that's going on, current events, or they'll hear me and, and Kim talk about what's, you know, an article I read or a thing I heard about or a news story or whatever, and they can, you know, they'll chime in once in a while, they'll have a thought or an opinion or whatever. So yeah, let's talk about it from a faith perspective. Let's use every opportunity we have to talk and to train. But there's a third part of that this talking, as, as we do that, let's learn together. Learn with your kids, right? And this is a tough one for me, but it's okay to tell your kids, I don't know. Sometimes part of the pressure that we feel as parents is to, I have to know everything. I have to have an answer for everything. Now, sometimes the answer is, I don't know. Let's figure that out. Let's, let's get on the Google machine, children, you know. Let's get on the interwebs, uh, you know. I don't know how do you turn this thing on or, you know, I'm, I'm not quite that bad. Jackson thinks I am, but I'm not quite that bad yet. But let's learn together. He's, the kids have questions about this topic. I don't know. Let's look. Let's learn together. Another way, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but another thing 
way to do that is to ask them what they think, right? They have a question or they have this topic. Well, what do you think about that? Or maybe, you know, ask a leading type of question. Get them involved, learn to think critically as part of training. Because if we can train them when they are young, when they're older, it says they won't depart, they'll learn. So the, the job, and you might disagree, and that's, you can be wrong, that's okay. But uh, I think a parent's job is not to tell our kids what to think, but to teach them how to think, right? There's a difference there. Now, we do instruct them in certain ways, but it's more this critical thinking is so important to teach them how to actually read between the lines when they, when they hear something on the internet, right? Really, the lesson is don't believe anything you see on the internet. I think that's a, a good lesson to teach our kids. But we want to teach them not just what to think, but how to think. And part of learning together, and then we'll move on quickly, is we want to point out when our kids get it. Like when, when we see, hey, you did that. Or maybe sometimes you would say, wow, you were really generous with your friend here. You're an inspiration to me. I need to be more like you. Like, man, the more that we can instill that, that, that we're seeing growth and improvement in this training, that's just going to boost that behavior even more. So we want to learn together. And we do that with the fourth thing on this talking aspect of training is I think we do it best through a team approach. So that's where no matter who you are, if you're here or watching or listening, this is for you. Because maybe you don't have kids, you've never had kids, this, this is where you come in big time. Or maybe your kids are grown and you're like, okay, these things that you said would have been nice 20, 30 years ago, but now it's kind of late to do that. Here's the thing, this part and the last part, stick with me, but this part will still apply. There's an old African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. That's where this comes in. We as parents need support. We need help. We need a team. And to go back to the Olympic athlete uh, example, this study that I referenced, every single athlete, all Olympic athletes have at least one coach. Sometimes they have a whole team. Most coaches of Olympic athletes were never Olympic athletes themselves. They weren't there on the balance beam, but they can train Simone Biles to win a billion, jillion gold medals, right? Like the, the Michael Phelps' coaching staff, they, they weren't in the Olympics, but they can help him to win tons of medals in the Olympics. So that's the same thing. I don't have kids, or I don't have kids yet, or I don't want kids. It doesn't matter. You still, this still applies. You're still part of the community, part of the team, the village, raising the children, there's still value that you can bring, wisdom that you can bring, support that you can bring in this process because strong kids need strong communities and strong kids are built by strong communities. It works both ways. So the first part of this verse is that we talk. But how many of you know the next part? Training is not just talking the talk, but yeah, walking the walk. So we talk, but we also walk. Part of training is walking. Proverbs 20, verse 7, The godly walk with integrity. Blessed are their children who follow them. They walk with integrity. Blessed are their children who follow them. So like with the first thing, there's four aspects to this walk as well. We'll spend more time on the first one, then we'll breeze to the other three and get to the second half of this verse as we close, all right? So we want to walk four aspects of this. First, the first, I think, main thing, as we see in this verse, Proverbs 20, verse 7, is consistent effort. The, The walk as we train our children is consistent effort. As parents, we are the example It starts and ends with 
us. So how we talk affects our children. How we walk, how we live affects our children. And if those don't line up, eventually they will notice. My kids are old enough to catch me when I don't, you know, when I preach really good and don't walk it out really well. And this, they will call me out in a heartbeat, okay? They are my accountability partners, whether I like it or not. What it comes down to as well is prioritization. As parents, what we prioritize matters and it affects our children so do we prioritize stuff i'm all about getting the newest and latest and greatest and biggest and baddest this is that my focus do i spend all my time on this stuff or fixing all this stuff that i have and it's not bad to have stuff or to fix stuff or to do things but that can't be the top priority because eventually the kids will know they are second or third or fourth on the list is work a priority too much? Now, again, there are jobs that require more than others. There are seasons of busyness, but your kids will know if they come after your job. They just will. They will figure it out. Uh, or is your, is your marriage a priority, or is it not? Because kids will, even at a young age, they'll know if mommy and daddy really love each other or if they just live together or if they hate each other, right? They, they will find out. So is, is that a priority to us as parents? As we already mentioned, our spiritual things a priority to us. Scripture, prayer, church. This, this was a big thing when I was a student ministries pastor. You'd have parents who would come to me and their, you know, teenage, you know, son or daughter or whatever. They're just, you know, they're not coming to church and they hate Jesus and I'm just really concerned about them. And they won't come to church and they won't come to youth group or whatever. And so there's really two, two things, two responses to someone in this situation or two, two things I would say. I'd say, first, you are the parent. So you, you can make them come, right? They go to school five days a week, seven, eight hours a day. You make them do that so that you can make them come to church once or twice a week for an hour at a time. You can do that. You do it all the time. Just do it here in this situation. You can do it, right? You, what you do is you literally pick them up, you know, or whatever, or you get your neighbors involved. Hey, we're going to church. Help me out. And, the, you know, whatever you have to do. But it's like, and, th- and here's the second part. The second thing I would say is, okay, well, you want it to be a priority for them, but is it a priority for you? Because here's the thing, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking talk to this, this hypothetical parent here. I would say, you come to church whenever you feel like it. You're here once every four weeks, six weeks. What, like, why are you wanting them to come every Wednesday night to youth group on a school night when you don't come hardly at all? Like, do you read your Bible? Do you know how to spell the word Bible? Like, you want them to be so spiritually deep here, but it's like, you're the trainer. You have to be a part of that. That has to be a priority to you. Do you have them involved in all these activities that are always on the weekends or always when we're doing stuff? If, if that's the thing, you're setting the precedent for them that this faith thing, it's fine, but it's just a part. It's not even that important because you got this thing and this thing. Every weekend, we've got a different tournament or activity or sport, and I hate that our culture has gone to now it's always on the weekend every time. It's like, stop it, you know. That's why this country is going to hell, right? Because we want to play softball every weekend, and this isn't a priority. I'll get off my soapbox now. And again, I'm talking to the choir because you're here today, right? So, but it's just still something to consider. And here's the other, the thing with consistent effort is training is also work for the trainer. The trainer doesn't always want to get up at 6 a.m. to train with this Olympic athlete. Like after a while, the coolness of being with Michael Phelps is going to wear off and it's just, hey, Mike, what's up? 
I saw you yesterday for 10 hours, you know, like, go away, leave me alone. Like, it's just not as cool anymore. It's work to get up. There's dedication involved for the trainer. There's, um, there's discipline involved for the trainer. It's a job. It's work. It's not always fun or easy or convenient, but if we want the results we claim we want, we have to have consistent effort. And that's true with parenting. If we want that result, we have to put in the effort. Second thing, with, we'll get through these other three pretty quickly. When it comes to our, our walk and training our kids, we have to also have consistent apologies because parents don't always get it right. Who else in here is a perfect parent besides me? Put your hand down. You know, it's, like, it's that sort of thing. Uh, no, there's no perfect parents. We are going to blow it. So when we do, inevitably, we just need to own it, right? Kids are pretty smart. Even really young kids are pretty smart. They can see through whatever we're trying to spin or excuse. They, they, they just know. And so it's just better if we own that. And is it humbling? Yes. There are a few things more humbling than apologizing to a five-year-old, right, which I have done many times, or to a almost 13-year-old. It's just, it is, but it's part of the process, and it's healthy and helpful for the process. Saying things like, I was wrong. I shouldn't have lost my temper. I've done that one a few times. Um, I had, yeah, you're right. You know what? I've had my priorities, priorities wrong. You know, sometimes kids will just tell you how it is, and then you just gotta, you just gotta own it because they're right. Or maybe you assume certain things, but then you heard the rest of the story. You have to go back and apologize for being wrong. I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't realize that. I'm sorry. Okay? This will have a huge impact in training our children. It'll have a big impact on them, especially later on. So we, consistent effort, consistent apologies, and then the other half of that is then consistent forgiveness. Because kids are going to mess up too. And some of you are going to feel this when I say this. The older that they get, the bigger the mess-ups sometimes get from our kids. The more personal it gets, the deeper it gets, the messier it gets. The bigger they get, the bigger the messes get. And so it seems obvious to say, yeah, we want to have forgiveness, but man, if it cuts deep, if it's personal, if it's not, if it's not your cute little three-year-old saying, I hate you, but it's like your 23-year-old saying, I hate you, that's different. That, 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 that hits different, doesn't it? So forgiveness is part of this walk. We, for, as Scripture says, we want to forgive as we've been forgiven. So it doesn't mean, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean we just take it, especially as our kids get old. It doesn't mean we take whatever they want to throw. It doesn't, we're not a doormat, okay? Um, but, and, and maybe it does mean for a time there's some distance in that relationship, maybe that we have to make so we can heal, so we can actually forgive, so we can hopefully salvage a relationship if it gets to that point. And that can work, so, you know, sometimes on a day like Father's Day, when I mention these kind of things, we're thinking about our kids, sometimes we're thinking about our parents, sometimes we're thinking about both, and so hopefully this will be helpful on either part of this relationship. So, consistent effort, consistent apologies, consistent forgiveness, and then the fourth thing about this walk with our children is consistent love. And this is similar to the last one because it's easy to say, well, you could, it's easy to tell your small child, you could never do anything to make me stop loving you. Because what are they going to do? Kick you in the shin and run off, right? That's, all, that's what they're going to do. But when they're older and they say things or do things and it just messes like everything up, it devastates families, like it ruins reputations, it, it, get, it hurts deep, and it's sometimes hard to even love in that way as well. And it makes me think quickly about the story Jesus tells of the prodigal son 
So the father has two sons. The older son is working with his dad, doing the business, doing the thing. The younger son says, I've had it. I'm out of here. And he says, Dad, give me my inheritance so I can go live my own life and do my own thing. Well, the way that I read this years ago but changed the way I thought about this story is what that son is saying is, Dad, I wish you were dead. Because he wants the inheritance. You don't get that till the dad is deceased. So he's saying, Dad, you're dead to me. I wish you were dead. I want to do my own thing. I don't want to live in your shadow on your stupid farm. I want to get out and live my life. So he, the father lets him do that. You know, Jesus tells a story that he lets him do that. He runs out, blows his money, ruins his life, and he comes back with his tail between his legs. And he's gonna, he says, I'm going to end up being a servant for my father. Isn't that what he says? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but I'll be your servant. I'll work as a hired servant, and I'll try to earn back your trust and your love and all that. But what does the father in the story do? Jesus says that when the father saw his son coming from afar off, he ran out to meet him. He hugged him, kissed him, gave him his robe and his ring with the family seal back and said, hey, no, 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 none of that servant talk. You're my son. You've left. Now you've come back. Let's celebrate. That, that's what we as parents, and again, I understand, I have young kids, and I, I'm not speaking from experience here, but that's what we just have to do. We have to make that consistent effort to love. So that's the training part. This second part will be quicker, so don't get too antsy on me, but this is, this is where it's going to get really good, okay? So the second part of this, let's read this verse again. Train up a child in the way he should go. Here's what it says. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You might be sitting here saying, what do you mean won't depart? What, what, what if they already have? What if they are currently departed from the way? What if they are departed from the training? What if, like that, this promise doesn't sound too promising right now because I'm not living in that. I'm living in a different reality. I'm living in my life and my experience, and this sounds great. I know it's the Bible, but I'm just not seeing that. What do I do about that? So to keep... Keep the theme alive. I got four encouraging, four encouragements for us as we talk about this part to close today. What if they have departed? What do we do? First thing, and these, again, sound obvious, but they're, they're important. Number one, keep praying. First, let me just rattle off a couple of scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, never stop praying. James 5.16, the powerful prayer of a righteous person is effective. Philippians 4, verse 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Prayer seems like such a simple thing, but it's the most powerful tool we have as parents. It just is. And I would give you stories, but for sake of time, I'll, I won't. You can just, just uh, if you don't have the promise book we have, there's some on the front the table as you leave. Take those. Read those. Be encouraged by those, okay? Um, so I will mention this story about about continuing, about praying, okay? In Luke 18, uh, Jesus tells another story. It's called the story of the persistent widow or the unjust judge. It's got two different names. So the story, very simply, this widow woman has had an injustice done against her. She goes before the judge and cries for mercy, cries for justice. Jesus says this is an unjust judge. He said this judge does not care about God or about people. So he's like a terrible judge. He's just a trash judge, right? And so the widow goes, to help, goes for help and he says, Get out of here. I don't even want to talk to you. She comes back the next day. Judge, I've still got my case. It's still open, you know. And he says, didn't I tell you to leave yesterday? Get out of here. And so she leaves. She comes back the next day and the next day and the next day, and she finally wears him down. And he says, okay, okay, what do you want? I will give you the justice that you want. 
So at the end of the story, Jesus says, if this unjust, evil, wicked judge would do the right thing, how much more will your loving Heavenly Father give to you what you ask of Him? He's making this contradiction here. God is not like the judge. He's the opposite of the judge. But sometimes, but here in verse 1 of this, uh, of this story, before he tells the story, Luke gives us the reason why he tells the story. He says, Jesus told them this story so they would learn to pray and not give up. To pray and not give up. I heard this quote a few weeks ago, and I finally found a place to use it. Here it is. When it comes to prayer... You may lose a battle, but you'll never win a surrender. You may lose a battle, but you can't win a surrender. If you stop praying, it's over. Like it may just randomly happen, but it's not going to be because you prayed anything and God heard your prayer because you've given up, right? So even in the darkest moments, even in the most bleak situations, you may lose the battle, but you can't win a surrender. We have to keep praying no matter what. The second part of this second half of this verse about they won't depart is we just we keep praying we also keep coaching now this will look different as our kids get older no matter what okay it just will and if our children have departed from the way that we've trained them in we have to adjust our coaching style to some degree okay we have to maybe be a little bit less obvious with certain tactics that we're trying to use maybe it may be less instruction and more encouragement it might be just, you know, I believe in you, or you'll, you'll make it, you'll figure out a way, God will make a way, even if you don't really believe it in that moment. You, sometimes you just have to fake it. You have to lie to yourself to encourage your children, uh, or you have to tell yourself that they're, they're really getting it somewhere deep down when you really don't think they are. The coaching still has to be a part of this aspect. We want to keep praying, keep coaching. The third thing, obviously, keep loving. And again, this seems obvious, but if they turn on your training, it can, it can lead to dark places, right? It can lead to hurt, resentment, a hard heart. We can feel betrayed by our own children. And so in whatever way we can, let's love them. Let's ask, ask God to help us to, to wrestle with these feelings and thoughts and emotions, to learn to heal and overcome and figure out a way to push through that to continue to love no matter what. And here's the fourth thing. We want to keep believing. Because sometimes in these situations, we can get discouraged. It's never going to get any better. They're never going to come back. I know they're my kids, but they are a lost cause. I've tried everything. I've exhausted every option. I'm wiped. I, am, I'm, I'm, I just can't. We become tired. We begin to question Will they return, or are they like the part of this verse that, the, that it doesn't happen? Or one thing we're tempted to do is we'll constantly think this question, what did I do wrong to cause this to happen? Let me read you two scriptures as we start to wrap it up here to help answer that question. Proverbs 19.27 in the New Living Translation says, If you stop listening to instruction, my child, you will turn your back on knowledge. In the, in the uh, contemporary English version, it says, the same verse says this, if you stop learning, you will forget what you already know. Now, that's good, just practical, general advice, but when it comes to parenting and our children, that's true. If you stop learning, you'll forget what you already know. 
And then Ezekiel 18, 20. Well, I'll talk about why I'm reading these in just a second. Ezekiel 18, 20. The person who sins is the one who will die. The child will not be punished for the parent's sins, and the parent will not be punished for the child's sins. Righteous people will be rewarded for their own righteous behavior, and wicked people will be punished for their own wickedness. So why read these verses? Why, how do they go together? Well, Here's part of believing, even in these situations where our kids have strayed, our kids are far from faith, and we feel like, I messed up, I blew it, I'm responsible, I caused this. Part of continuing to believe, even in this they've departed from the way, is not taking undue blame, not living in undue guilt. So let me maybe encourage you with this simple idea. As parents, we train but they choose. That's what those two verses are telling us, especially Ezekiel 18, right? We train, they choose. So if you can honestly say, you know what, I wasn't perfect, and yeah, I can, I can talk about a million things I got wrong, we all can, but in the end, I trained them well, and they're still not faithful, that's all you can do, right? All you can do is what you did, and all you can do is continue to do what you can. There's so much of this verse that seems so simple, but yet it's out of our control. And that can be maddening. It can be frightening. It can be frustrating. But here's the thing. Even the perfect game plan has to be executed. So the coach can draw up. This is the game-winning play. We are tied with five seconds to go. If everybody does their job and follows this thing on the board I'm drawing at this time out, we will win the game. But, if the team goes out and says, guys, that, that play is lame. We're not doing that. We're going to drop our own play real quick right here, and they don't win. Was that the coach's fault that the team didn't follow his instruction? It's not. He had a different plan. He had the right plan. They went rogue, and they messed, they, they, they messed up the game. They lost the game. That's all we can do is all we can do is really all we can do. A couple other thoughts as we, as we close. I know we've gotten to a lot today, so maybe this is one you have to rewatch uh, to, to get it all. But, so here's the thing. When it comes to what we can do, think about this for a second. Even God cannot force your children to love him and serve him. Even God will not force anyone to serve him, and he's God. So why am I living in guilt about how I did this and that and what? And there, you know, I, I get there are caveats to all this, but the idea that they, it's still, it's still there. And then the the last thing I'll mention when it comes to God is as much as we want our children to not depart, God wants that even more than we do. They're His children first and foremost. They're His creation before they're our creation as parents. 2 Peter 3.9 says, God would that none perish, but all come to repentance. As much as parents, as we agonize and we cry and we grieve, God is agonizing, crying, and grieving. He wants none to perish. So you have a pretty powerful guy in your corner, on your team, on your side, with the same goal in mind. And so the truth is, as we keep praying, coaching, loving, believing, no matter where we are in life, in our parenting journey with our children, we do what we can do, and we trust God to do what only He can do. So as we train our children in the way they should go, we hold on to this proverb that 
even when they're old, they will not depart from it because God is greater. Amen.